Hey, you guys, we got a, a special treat uh, this morning. I want to just uh, set up Lee again. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Lee is in his third year of his pastoral residency here at Rogers Park, and he has just done a fantastic job. Um, him and Kelsey together are all a great team, uh, but when Lee came on a few years ago, he's just done an incredible job of investing in our community, uh, being involved in discipleship relationships, and once in a while we get him up here where he gets the opportunity to bring the word. Now, I want to set Lee up here this morning because initially uh, in our preaching schedule, this was an open preach where Lee was going to get to be able to preach anything that he wanted. But as we're going through our series in the book of Galatians, what we find today is actually now, since the um, schedule changed, that Lee has one of the toughest passages probably in all the Bible <laughs> this morning. So, but this is Praise all good. This is where it's great. This is where uh, preachers are made. Uh, these are man makers. And so... I am so grateful for Lee, and I'm just really proud of him and the work that he's doing. And so let's give him a whole lot of amens and what's up and way to go this morning, huh? All right. Thanks, Jay. Jay is one of the kindest men that I know, and it's a blessing to serve under him. So thanks again, Jay, for what you said. Uh, well, good morning. My name, like Jay said, is Lee Grander. I serve as a pastoral resident. Uh, and I want to say uh, I am glad to be here. I'm glad to bring the toughest passage of all of the Bible. Uh, and I am hoping that you guys had a good Thanksgiving so that we can point forward to the best holiday of the entire year, which is clearly Christmas. There's something special about the Christmas tree and the smell of it, the sight of the lights and the uh, putting up of the decorations that puts our focus ahead of Thanksgiving. It puts our focus on the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. It puts our focus on the fact that God has broken into humanity, that he has come in the person of Christ. He's put on flesh. He has dwelt with us. We are pointed to the fact that uh, he has lived perfectly trusting the Father, that he has been uh, crucified so that our sins would be buried with him, that he was risen so that we could be justified with him through faith, and we get to celebrate that all over Christmas. Maybe you can tell that I have a favorite holiday. But Thanksgiving's good too. Uh, and I actually learned something really interesting over Thanksgiving that I think brings clarity to this passage and to the overall argument that Paul has been making through the book of Galatians or the letter to the church in Galatians. Kelsey and I did Thanksgiving with my family back at home and with some friends who now feel like family. Uh, and something really interesting happened when I was back home. We walked into the door uh, and we saw immediately the turkey and the stuffing and the potatoes and, uh, you know, not the sweet potatoes, maybe next year, uh, Ma. And I, I'll keep going so I don't get in trouble. But we saw the turkey and the mash and all of the good stuff. And as the family and friends came in, uh, they were bringing gifts. Uh, they brought drinks and they brought sides and they brought pies. And I had this thought as I sat at the table. The thought was, I brought nothing to the table. I didn't bring drinks. I didn't bring pies. I didn't bring food. I didn't earn a place in the family or add to the blessing that I was participating in. I just sat there bringing nothing to the table. And as I sat there and then thought about it afterwards, I began to think about all the ways that I could have achieved some sort of contribution to the family and added to the blessing that I partook in. Isn't that our human nature? 
We start to feel insecure about not bringing something to the table, so we want to immediately jump to bringing something to the table, to achieving something, to earning our place. And then another thought came, and it all clicked. The better thought is, isn't it beautiful that God says our spot at the table, our place in the family, our participation in his blessing is a free gift an act of grace through faith. Isn't it beautiful that God says our spot at the table, our place in the family, our participation in his blessing is a free gift, an act of grace through faith. And that is what Paul is going to remind us of today through allegory. If you've been with us, you know that we've been preaching through the a letter of Galatians under a sermon series titled, Stay the Course. Ta-da. And the reason it's called uh, Stay the Course is because uh, these Galatians have uh, received the gospel. Gospel, good news. Good news that we don't have to bring anything to the table in order to be right with God or to be God's children. We're sharing his blessing for sonship. Paul argues, salvation, Paul says, justification comes by grace through faith. But in this letter, Paul has been addressing the Galatians who are being swayed from the course, who are being swayed from the gospel by the Judaizers who say Jesus plus the law. They say you need Jesus plus obedience to the Old Testament law in order to be right with God and to be children of God. But Paul says, no way. He would argue Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Paul has recently been articulating in our past sermons that the law was not given so that we could earn right status before God. It was given to show people our sin. It was meant to point past itself ultimately to Christ who the promise was made to. And today we will see this climactic point of Paul's argument in Galatians 4, 21, 31. So this would be a great time if you've got a Bible to go ahead and open it to Galatians chapter 4, verse 21 through 31. Uh, if you need a Bible, that's our free gift to you. There's Bibles on the tables as, as you go out. And if you need one now, I'm sure if you raised your hand, we could grab one for you. Or you flip to it in your phone. But as we read it together, we will see Paul's climactic argument where he points to the Old Testament, the very place the Judaizers are seeking to convince the Galatian Christians to be right with God, you need Jesus plus the law. But Paul will show that even the Old Testament is in agreement with him. Paul will not say that we need Jesus and the law, but the big idea that Paul will articulate from our text today is we are children of God if we trust God's promise. We are children of God if we trust his promise. For those of us who are able to stand, would you please join me for the reading of God's word. The text reads this way. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically, and we'll come back to that word later. But it's interpreted allegorically that these women are two covenants, 
One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she does not bear. Uh, for she, excuse me. She corresponds uh, to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with children, uh, with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written. Paul quotes Isaiah 54, verse 1. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Paul continues, Now you, brothers, sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just As at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, sisters, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in great excitement. Father, you have made yourself known to your people. You have entered into humanity through the person of Christ and now dwell with us now by your spirit. God, we're excited because we get to be with you as a family. God, we're excited because your word doesn't return to you void and you are going to speak this morning. So God, find your people humble. Find your people ready to receive your word by faith this morning. And God, would you speak oh so clearly from this passage. Father, we give you thanks. We seek you. We depend on you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, again, our big idea is we are children of promise if we trust God's promise. And today there are two covenants that we're going to look at. First, Hagar, the first covenant, Hagar, who reminds us we cannot experience God's promise through achieving. Second, Sarah, the second covenant, who reminds us we experience God's promise through faith. We will then deal with Isaiah uh, 54 verse 1, which points us to what God has for us today and in the future. But before we go there, uh, we need to do a quick background of Abraham uh, and his two wives as well as his two sons because it's crucial for our understanding of the text. Paul assumes that we have a great knowledge of the Old Testament, so he leaves out a lot of detail uh, and, and writes this, so we'll give a quick overview. Paul opens the text with the historical narrative of Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar and pulls the story from Genesis 17 and 18 and then also 21. This is a story of God promising Abraham a child. Mind you, Abraham was about 75 and Sarah, his wife, 65 at the time that God made the promise. As the story goes, Sarah was barren and had been waiting for God to fulfill this promise for some years. Sarah suggests her husband sleep with Hagar, a younger slave, in order to achieve the promise of God. So Abraham entered into a polygamous and sinful relationship. Abraham and Hagar then had a son named Ishmael. As you would guess, there were some marital issues between Sarah and Abraham after that happened. And then after 24 years of silence, God spoke to Abraham, re-upping the covenant, saying that through Sarah, you will indeed bear a son, 
and I will make a covenant with you. The covenant that uh, through him, all the children, uh, you will have more children, uh, more numerous than the stars. Through him, all people would be blessed. All the nations. Yahweh would be his God. And that he would receive an everlasting inheritance. God says the promised child will not come through Hagar, but through Sarah. And around 95 years old, Sarah had Isaac. And now our question is, what did the two women teach us? First, we cannot experience God's promise through achieving. We do not become children of God by achieving God's promise, and Hagar shows us that. In verses 21 through 25, Paul brings up this historical narrative that we just heard and says, Now he, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is going to show how the Old Testament proves that we are children of God if we trust his promise by way of allegory. An allegory for us is, at its most basic level, an illustration that depicts a general principle. The general principle found through Hagar is that mankind will not experience God's promise through achieving. And this is really crucial, so slow down, think about this one. Paul then says Hagar represents Mount Sinai, the covenant of Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery, corresponding to the current Jerusalem. Paul is aligning Hagar with the law. Because Hagar is identified with the law, Paul is also saying that the people will not experience God's promise through the law. A few weeks ago, Jamie taught on the law and the promise very well. Uh, He made it clear from Galatians 3, 19 and then 24 that the law was given to show us our sin, to point past itself to the one whom the promise was made, that Jesus... That's Jesus, the promise who was made to Jesus, and that now by faith in Christ we might be justified and right standing before him. So Hagar is an illustration of how people who pursue God's promise or blessing through the law or through human achievement will just reveal their own sin. By Sarah's suggestion and Abraham's agreement, the three pursued to gain God's promise through human achievement. The young slave had a better chance, they thought, of being pregnant than Sarah, who was old and barren. And in doing so, they ended up sinning against God by entering into that polygamous relationship, having sex outside of marriage, which was not God's plan. I hope you see this. Just as God never planned for his promise to be fulfilled through the law, God also never planned on mankind achieving the promised child to Abraham outside of marriage. Genesis 17, uh, God tells us after this whole ordeal happens that Sarah will bear you, Abraham, a son. And God will establish his covenant with him and not with Ishmael. We cannot achieve something that only God can give. We cannot achieve in our own might the promise or blessing of God. For us, this means that we can't achieve or earn God's blessing. We can't become sons of daughters of God because we do things so well, that we follow religious practices so well. We don't get that status because we read our Bibles perfectly all of the time or that we pray so much. 
We don't earn status as children of God because we serve in book drives. We don't earn righteousness before God because we serve the poor in places such as breakers. You know, the cool thing about the law is that it was not given as the condition to receive blessing, but the response. The law was given to the Israelites who were just saved from slavery in Egypt so that they could respond to the blessing that they already had from God. They had been saved. Likewise, now we pray, we read our Bibles, we serve in book drives, sharing and showing the love of Christ with our neighbors. We pursue serving opportunities in retirement homes like Breakers. Not because it's a condition for us to receive blessing, but it's in response of having already received God's blessing. So the question is, how do we experience God's blessing and his promise? How do we experience it? Well, we see that answer in the second covenant. And the simple answer is through faith. We experience God's promise through faith. Paul shows us that Sarah is the second covenant that corresponds to the Jerusalem above. Sarah is the free woman, but is not given much mention in our text. Rather, Paul relies on our assumption that we know who Sarah is. And he relies on this assumption that we feel the magnitude of what he's saying. Sarah is the free woman. Who knows that Sarah this morning is good news for us that she's associated with the free woman? Nobody. It's confusing. How is Sarah the free woman? Well, in Galatians, or well, in Genesis, Sarah's kind of described as a not so great person. Sarah is the one who blames God for preventing her from having children. She's the one who suggests Abraham sleep with Hagar to achieve God's promise. She's the one who deals harshly with Hagar, so harshly that the slave runs into the wilderness to flee her. Sarah is the one who hears the servant of the Lord say, she will have a child next year, and then laughs. She's the one who doubted God's promise. And you may say, why is Sarah being the free woman good news for us? She seems awful. And that's exactly it. Sarah being the free, free woman is good news because it shouts a sinner, a doubter of God, an abuser can be transformed and made much of by our God. Sarah being the free woman means that God's promise cannot be dependent on our deficiencies. Our God who promises uh, does not say uh, that we need to be perfect. He doesn't say we need to be put together. Certainly, Sarah would not be receiving the promise of God if that was the case. Sarah being the free woman means that we don't have to hold up the best versions of ourselves or pretend to be someone we're not to experience God's promised blessing. A sinner a doubter of God, an abuser, can be transformed and made much of 
Some people probably need to hear this this morning. Don't let shame and guilt keep you from running to God this morning. He loves the sinner. He welcomes the doubter. He holds the abuser in his arms when we come considering God faithful, able to make much of us and transform us. In Hebrews 11, chapter 11, we see Sarah's connection to the promise through faith. And by faith, it reads, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. Sarah represents the new covenant that by faith in Jesus, we can experience the promised blessing of God. And now let me pull over real quick and address something. I want to address the topic of infertility. And I want to be very clear. I know some of us sitting in this room have been struggling with that. And I know we all know someone who is, and it's difficult. I want to be clear, what I am not saying is that if you have more faith, you would have a child. That's not it. That's not what the text is saying. That's not what I'm saying. In this text, a God-given promise, the son to Sarah was, was given to Abraham. She was enabled by faith to experience that promise of God. This text is not a command saying that you just need to have more faith. Rather, it is a story of a particular person who received a particular promise from God. What I am saying is that by faith in Jesus, we can all experience the promise, blessing of God to be right before him and to be called children of him. In the text, uh, we see it pointing to the fact that Sarah represents the new covenant. That by faith in Jesus, we can all experience the promised blessing of God. Sarah reminds us that we can trust in God to fulfill his own promises because he's been faithful in the past. And now we get to verse 27. We're going to camp out here for a second. Uh, around a question. And the question is an honest one. The question is, what the heck is Isaiah 54 verse 1 doing in this text? This single-handedly gave me the biggest issue when I was studying the text and preparing for this morning. I cannot understand how Paul was relating Sarah and Hagar with a barren woman and a woman who had a husband. It didn't make sense until you understand the background of Isaiah 54. Still got in my Bibles until highlighted because of Jamie's sermon. So I wish he was here to thank him, but thanks, Jamie. Until you understand the background of Isaiah 54. The background of Isaiah 54 is that a prophet, Isaiah, is writing to the exiles in Babylonian captivity. He's writing to the Jewish people, God's people, who are under divine judgment. And he likens their state in exile to that of a barren woman. I thought the connection was between Sarah, who was barren, and, and this barren woman in the text, but that's not what I found. That's not what the text is making the connection. It's a uh, word connection, but it's not the meaning connection. 
One of my favorite New Testament scholars writes it very plainly. He says, in other words, in this passage, in Isaiah 54, verse 1, God is promising that his people would be more numerous after their return than they were before. Currently in exile will be more numerous than they were before after they return. This promise, he says, received a literal but partial fulfillment in the restoration of the Jews to the promised land. I know, hang in there with me. We're in the classroom right now. But it's true. Spiritual fulfillment that one day that their descendants would be more numerous than before, after they get out of exile, Paul would argue is, in, is found in the growth of the Christian church since Christian people are the seed of Abraham. Here is a great reversal envisioned by Isaiah that Paul is picking up. It's from barrenness to fruitfulness, from despair to joy, from desolation to blessing. It's from slavery to freedom. And it starts to click. Hagar associated with slavery. Sarah associated with freedom. Once a people was trapped in barrenness, in despair and desolation, They were trapped in slavery under the law. But in Christ, in the new covenant, we move to fruitfulness, to joy, to blessing. And this accomplishment can only be achieved through the unilateral, single-handed intervention of God himself. This great reversal must point you to Christ Jesus. As Paul has been articulating these two different covenants, the new covenant represented by Sarah, the old covenant represented by Hagar, we see a great reversal happening in the text. And there's also huge expectation put on what God is going to do both in the future and in our present. The reversal of covenant is from mankind trying to live to a standard that only points them back to how sinful they are, to the fact that they need a savior. The reversal to the new covenant, the promise is here. The promise has been fulfilled, and the promise is Jesus. Jesus is the promised seed of Adam who would crush Satan's head. He is the descendant of Abraham through whom every nation on earth would be blessed. He is our Passover lamb who was slain to protect us from the angel of death. Jesus is our great high priest who offers his very body as an atonement for the sin of his people. Jesus is the shepherd of his sheep who restores the soul of his fold and leads us into paths of righteousness. Jesus is the only way through which we can be united to God. The only way we can have a seat at the table. The only way we can experience the blessing that was promised by God. We can say we are children of God when we trust in Jesus. Now Paul lands his plane slowly. He finishes the passage by restating his big idea and giving us very practical applications for those of us who believe to walk out with. In Galatians 4, 28 and 31, Paul says, Now you brothers, sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. He says in verse 31, So brothers, sisters, 
We are not children of the slave, but children of the free woman. Just like Paul tells and reminds the Galatians, you guys, we need to tell one another. We need to remind our brothers and sisters in Christ who we are as God's children through faith. Just last night, uh, my wife came up to me and prayed. She prayed that I would remember who I was in Christ and that God would remind me who I was in Christ so that no matter how things go today in the hardest passage of the text, I would know that I'm only performing for an audience of one, the one who saved me from a life of slavery to sin and has brought me into his loving arms as a child through faith. This makes my heart light up just thinking about it. And I can't wait until it happens again. Brothers and sisters, we need this. We need to be reminded. In verse 29, Paul says, Just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him, who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. It's picking up on something in Genesis where uh, Ishmael mocked. Ishmael was quoted as mocking, persecution, associating it with the Judaizers who are now making fun of the Galatians for holding on to uh, believing in Jesus alone for their salvation and right standing before God. This is a fair warning. As a follower of Christ, if you haven't experienced persecution, it's coming. If you have experienced it, you know the mocking of friends and of family the familiar sounds of disapproval. When persecution comes, may God help us not to sway from the gospel. May he help us to stay the course. In verse 30, Paul very practically suggests that we cast out the slave woman and her son, for the woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. This is again a reference to the Judaizers uh, who are preaching Jesus plus the law. If Paul was here with us today, he would say, if anyone's preaching to you Jesus plus works is salvation, cast that brother out of the church and don't let him preach again. That's not how it works. We hold the gospel uh, pure, that it's by faith in Christ that we can become children of God, that we can earn right standing before the Lord. And we hold it and we would kick people out who don't preach it from our church because on it hangs the eternal destiny of men and women. We take it seriously. Paul would also suggest for us today to keep our minds on the things above. Remembering that God has promised us an inheritance that we will one day receive in full. I like the phrase, and I forget who said it, but the the spirit is our down payment for what we will one day receive when we meet God face to face in heaven. May we wait well for that and keep our eyes above. Finally, Chapter 5, verse 1, if you'll look with me, is actually the conclusion to what Paul is saying here. He's summing up the text saying, remember you are children of promise. Yes, expect persecution. Cast out false teachers and keep your minds on the things above, anticipating your inheritance for, because... Paul says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. We are no longer slaves to the law and to sin, but we are children of God through faith. Paul says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand therefore and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. As we get ready to, get ready to close and pray out, I want to invite you.
If you've not yet experienced the freedom of being in Christ Jesus, there will be deacons who are going to be standing along the side of the aisle. I want to invite you to maybe pray with them for the first time. Our deacons will be up front for the remainder of the service so that you can pray uh, and ask them to pray for anything that you need, big or small. Maybe you're experiencing some difficulty right now and you could really use, uh, you could really use someone praying and interceding on behalf of you and realizing that God is for you and he is with you. I want to encourage you to do that as we end. Finally, I want to say church. When we know that by faith we are children of God, when we know that the... when we know the freedom that Christ has set us free for, there is no reason to ever go back. There is no reason ever to stray from the course. You can experience that freedom as children of God simply by faith. Stay the course. And today, my sincere expectation and hope for our church is that we would all be experiencing the great freedom in Christ that we have through faith. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks that you have come in the form of your son to set us free. God, that you don't ask us any longer. You you don't say that we can somehow achieve right standing and sonship before you. But God, you have given us it as a gift. God, we're so thankful that we can come to the table empty-handed and by faith have a spot at the table to be loved by you, to be held into your arms, to never be left or forsaken by you. Father, we are a grateful people this morning. May we sing, may we rejoice, may we go forth remembering that you have set us free. In Christ Jesus we pray, amen.